morning, GVC. It's so good to be back with you, and I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Colossians chapter 4. I know we all get used to patterns, but unfortunately, Microsoft will not be providing the PowerPoint this morning. So hopefully, we'll get the point from the Scripture and the power from the Lord. Uh, Sherry and I are now in our 33rd year of full-time ministry, which, if you're doing math, means we started when we were seven. (laughs) I can tell you, when I started full-time ministry, I knew so much more than I know now. I knew almost everything. And I can tell you that after 33 years, there are so many things that used to matter to me then that don't matter. I call it reordering uh, your treasure. Uh, When we first began in ministry, we were a part of the church growth movement. It was all about getting as big as possible. I spent so much intense preparation for the Sunday morning show. Sorry to call it that. Uh, It was a big deal to me that everybody on the platform had their A-game. I know this is Singapore. I'm assuming you're with me at this point. Uh, I'll... I'll be honest, it doesn't matter to me anymore. Uh, Trust me, and some of you are younger, when you're older, the things that really matter to you now aren't going to matter as much. When you're older, you're not going to care how many Facebook friends you have. (laughs) When you're older, you won't care if you have the newest upgrade of the iPhone 17 point whatever. Uh, Lots of things won't matter to you. I call it reordering your treasure. All of the things that matter to you, your treasure, it's on a a sliding scale. And and I'll give you a very practical example of how that's happened in my life. Sherry and I are now living in my hometown, Vancouver. We live on the 18th floor of a 40-floor apartment, a condo. And, uh, you know, one of God's gifts to us is our second son is pastoring a Chinese church about 30 minutes away from us. And on Thursday nights, we watch the grandbabies because they're having their home group that night. And so grandby stays overnight. And Friday morning, we wake up with the grandbaby. It's really a comfort to grandparents, right? So one particular Friday, I, I said, sweetie, can you watch Ava Grace? I'm going to just jump in the shower. And I, I got in the shower. And you know, there's lots of awkward things that could happen when you're in the shower, Right. Uh, a neighbor could come by, ring the, the bell, that would be a little awkward, or your wife could be secretly recording you while you're singing. <clears throat> Lots of awkward things, but on this particular Friday morning, suddenly the fire alarm started going off. Just as my hair was all so- soaped up and suds pouring down my face, the fire alarm piercing, and, and uh, you know, we're 18 floors up, so it's really inconvenient Right to respond to a fire alarm. So I just opened the shower door. I said, sweetie, uh, is, is that just our... Did you burn breakfast? I don't know why that was my first assumption. <laughs> That's not good for a husband to assume. Oh, fire alarm. Wife burnt the breakfast. And she said, no, no, it's the whole building. I said, well, could you just call down? Because I'm in the shower. It's inconvenient. Could you just call down? And so she said, sure. And I continued to get back in the shower and, and wash my hair. And, and then... I start hearing fire engines, not one, not two, but many fire engines. And so this time I think it was serious. And so I called again, Sherry, did you call? No answer. So I wrap a towel and step out and I am by myself in that condo because Sherry has picked up her treasure and left the building. (laughs) 
When we were first married, I was the treasure. You, you know what this means, guys? It means treasure is a sliding scale, and you're sliding. You're sliding. You know, when that first baby is born, slide. And grandbabies come, you are invisible. That's, that's what happens. Now, now, now here's what we're, we're talking about in application to God's Word. We are, we are continuing in a series on discipleship. And this morning we're talking about discipleship service that leads to legacy. Now, now I will tell you, if you're an Angmo, there is nobody you love in history more than Alexander the Great. Because he was great. (laughs) Do you know by the age of 18, he had already won a major military battle. International battle. He had won at the age of 18. Now, what were you doing at 18? I was still wearing shorts, right? Right? So, he was, he is the model for Western greatness. This man conquered the world. By the age of 32, he had pushed the Greek Empire all the way through Pakistan and deep into India. And then by the age of 33, he was dead, covered in wounds and soaked in alcohol. But he was a conqueror. Here's one decision that Alexander the Great made that forever sealed his legacy. One decision he made that ensured that his empire would never last. And that is, he decided to never develop or appoint his successor. The moment he died, his body was placed in a vat of honey and brought back to Macedonia. But on the way, Ptolemy attacked the colony, took the body, and took him to Alexandria. All he left, Greece, was an opportunity for Rome to take over everything Greece once had. Here we are. This is true service. Not doing the work, but investing in those who will do the work, which is investing in those who will invest in those who will invest in those who will do the work. It's so much easier to just be a rock star and work hard. And now I speak to the founding generation because we think of our young people when they talk about work smart, we think, well, that's just young people speak code for being lazy. We're just going to work. Right. I constantly hear my sons tell me, they're all men now, Dad, why didn't you teach me this? Because it's so much easier just to do it myself. In Colossians chapter 4, we find the Apostle Paul at the end of his ministry writing this letter from prison. When he was sitting in prison, he knew he was a lot closer to the grave than the cradle. He had already reordered his treasure. In Philippians, he had written, once I considered valuable, I now consider absolutely worthless. That's a man who's reordered his treasure. But in this man, we can still see this Pauline model of service, which is everyone around him is evidence of everything he truly invested in. 
not the work, but in the people who would do the work. Now, notice these principles. And by the way, um, since we're in Singapore, can I say this? I know you're going to have to decide. You're, you're living in a, in a tension. Are we going to continue to embrace the Confucian culture, which says the student Ollie can never be greater than the master Ian? Or are we going to embrace a Christ culture who said, if you believe in me, this you will do and greater? You see, this is the ambition of a Christ servant. Not that he does great stuff, but that he invests in those who will do great stuff for the glory of God. That is New Testament service, investing in others. And so as we look at this Pauline service, this model that he presents, we see, first of all, and by the way, I'm at the end of this letter. First of all, verses 7 through 9, we see this principle, focus on the faithful. And the two men in his life at that very moment in prison who represented the faithful were Tychicus and Onesimus. We see this in verses 7 and through 9. Tychicus, the Apostle Paul writes, will give you a full report of how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves me in the Lord's work. I am sent, I'm sending him to you for this very purpose. To let you know how we were doing and to encourage you. In other words, it is Tychicus who is carrying this letter to this new church that is growing in Colossae. He writes with urgency, did the Holy Spirit inform him in that in just three years, a huge earthquake would destroy the entire city so that if you went to Western Turkey right now to the place where Turk, where Colossae used to be, there is nothing but a farmer's field. He ministered with urgency and his first focus was on those who would be faithful. And it's fascinating to me that the name Tychicus literally means fortuitous or literally unexpectedly fortunate. In other words, he is the epitome of a book that should not be judged by the cover. Because when he turned out well, it was unexpected. It wasn't that he had obvious talent. It was that God did something extraordinary in this ordinary faithful heart. And so Tychicus was the one entrusted by the Apostle Paul to go to Crete and encourage Titus. It was Tychicus who was sent to encourage the church at Ephesus. It was Tychicus who was a part of the delegation to bring the benevolent offering to the church in Jerusalem. If you're trusting somebody with money, you're trusting somebody. He was faithful. And the toughest assignment yet was Tychicus. Go to Colossae with this letter and with this runaway slave named Onesimus. So that means Tychicus was actually bringing two letters with him. One to the whole church and one to the house owner named Philemon. I entrust this faithful man and Onesimus 
who found faith in that prison cell under the Apostle Paul's prison ministry. His name means beneficial or useful. Ironic, since nothing is more useless to a rich man in the first century than a slave who runs away. And that's why in that second letter, the Apostle Paul says, useful was at one time useless to you, but now he's youthful, useful to both of us. Onesimus, faithful to return to what ordinarily would be a death sentence. This is who we look for. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote to that young pastor, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2.20 and says, And what you've heard and seen in me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to, what? Not talented men, not gifted men, but to faithful men who will also teach and train others. And how can you tell if they're faithful? I mean, I mean, how can you tell that? You can tell if they do what they've been taught. Uh, I might uh, hurt you a little bit today, and it's not my intention. But Singaporean Christians are some of the most biblically informed Christians on the planet. And we do less of what we know than almost any other believer I've met. I, I remember in 1969, I was attending... St. Thomas School for Boys in Kuching, Sarawak. Learning all the horrible names Malaysians call white people. <laughs> Orang Belanda. I'm saying my nose is not that big. <laughs> you know, Amo uh, I know what you're saying. Be careful. <laughs> and, and there was no Baptist church in, in Borneo in 1969. And my father, who was reached by Baptist missionaries in Canada... Couldn't imagine. No church, only Catholic and Anglican. So we began to worship in our home and, and invite neighbors. And then my father wrote a note to the Foreign Mission Board, now called the International Mission Board. Why? No missionary in Borneo. And so I remember standing on the banks of the Sarawak River. And my parents so excited. Finally, we're going to have a pastor here for this little church in Kuching. Finally, Americans are sending a missionary. And, and then they came. Bob and Dorothy Evans, twin boys and two girls and we were all excited. In the first Sunday, I remember what happened afterwards. I, embarrassed to say, my, my family's problem. Oh, yeah, that pastor cannot preach what? It's so disappointing. Why they send somebody in, all the way from Missouri who couldn't even pastor a church in Missouri? That's why. It's so boring. Uh, this guy, no passion. My mom would say, no passion. I remember how, how disturbed my parents were that, that this one was being paid to be a missionary and, and, and didn't seem to have any gift, any talent, Sunday after Sunday. And eventually, of course, we, we went back to Canada. And years later, in 1993, I arrived back in Malaysia as a missionary. And who was still there? Bob Evans. I, I challenge you, go go anywhere in Borneo. Mention the name Bob Evans. They'll say, ah, yeah, the Bishop of Borneo. Why? Maybe not gifted, but faithful. Faithful. That's what he was for 37 years, pouring his life out. In fact, as a 12-year-old boy on visitation evening on a Tuesday night, 
Pastor Bob says, I need to take a visitation partner. Oh, I know. I'll take little Ian. (laughs) Faithful men do great things because it's not about the man. It's about the glory of God. And great gifted men start great glorified churches and write amazing books and become famous. But God uses the faithful to exalt His glory. And secondly, here's something the Apostle Paul did. He reached in, and we see this in the lives of Aristarchus and Jesus' justice in verses 10 through 11. He writes this, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings. And so does Mark. We'll talk about Mark in a bit. As you were instructed, make him welcome. Jesus, the one we call justice, also sends his greetings. Now, here it is. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. For whatever reason, the Apostle Paul wasn't particularly successful at reaching his own, at influencing his own. In fact, even though it was Rome that eventually executed him, it was the Jewish people who constantly persecuted him. Can I, can I uh, talk for a moment about a little awkward facial tick of Canadian culture? You know what a facial tick is? It's that you know, twitch in the face, that, that awkward expression that somebody consistently does that everybody notices but no one mentions because it's just you know, awkward. You know, it, it's a thing that makes an ordinarily attractive face a little odd and distorted. Here is the facial tick of Canadian culture. We cannot celebrate ourselves unless America notices. Right? I mean, we do not recognize any Canadian talent unless they go to California first. And then we say, Celine Dion? She's Canadian. We don't even like her particularly, but Americans do. She's Canadian. And we, then we celebrate. Now, now uh, again... <laughs> Uh, I want to be gentle. It should not take 50 years for us to realize that foreign and talent aren't automatically synonymous. Are you understanding? (laughs) It's time to get over the post-colonial hangover. And realize the greatest potential to impact the world is here. Do not allow them to go to Australia before you recognize them. Because they're not coming back. Don't allow Singaporean to become famous in Canada. Because they're not coming back. Now is the time to look around and see those that God has planted here. They already like the food. The climate is already quite okay. They don't sweat like a white man. Okay, I've beat that already to death. Here's the Apostle Paul's grief in Romans 11. I ask then, has God rejected His own people? The nation of Israel? Of course not. I myself, I am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham. So this, verse 7, is the situation. Most of the Jews 
have rejected the Lord. But those He has chosen have responded. Because the gifts and the calling of God, verse 11, are irrevocable. This is why Aristarchus and Jesus' justice gave him so much hope. Because it was a constant reminder that by the grace of God, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. And this is why Ollie and Bobby and One Ping give my heart so much joy. Because it's evidence that even in Singapore, the best and the brightest amidst the clamor and all the noise can still hear the whisper of God. Reach in. And third, reach reach out in verses 12 through 13. Uh, we see the Apostle Paul addressing men, Epaphras, who is outside of his circle. Epaphras, in verses 12 and 13, was a Jew in several ways, or was outsider in several ways. He was not a Jew, sorry. He, he wasn't even a result of the Apostle Paul's personal ministry until God put them together in the same prison cell. But the Apostle Paul was an equal opportunity investor. And so Epaphras went from outsider to side-by-sider. He didn't just invest in. It's not a matter of rejecting one for the other. He invested in and he invested out. And so the Apostle Paul, even though he wasn't a result of his ministry, he wasn't in his network of relationships, he yet called him Epaphras, my fellow slave and cellmate. Slave to Christ, co-worker in the gospel. You see, because he invested in insiders and then outsiders, he impacted whole new relational networks. That is how the world was turned upside down and why it is not today. Because we come in and we stay in. You know the number one reason why Christians say, I don't share the gospel with non-believers? You know what the number one reason is? I have no friends who are non-believers. Because we come in and we stay in and we're in all the time and we're so busy being in, we never invest out. Uh, Pray that you don't have to spend time in a prison cell before you meet an outsider. The Apostle Paul invested both ways. Uh, I was going to give a bonus point, but I realize I've I've become used to preaching for an hour and we have... When am I supposed to be done? 9.10. Bonus point. It's not in your ministry guide. Number four, uh, verse 14, I want to talk about Luke because here's the thing. If you're interested in leaving a legacy, don't be so worried about being a legacy that you're feeling like I have to write my own story. So the bonus point is uh, when you're serving, when you're investing in others, let somebody else write the story. And here's Luke, a physician, one of the original, right? Uh, Likely even writing for the Apostle Paul as he dictated. Author of the Gospel of Luke, author of the Acts of the Apostle. Here is Luke still with him. The Apostle Paul is leaving the legacy Luke is recording it. And, and here's something that really is irritating to me. I'm, 
I mean, I can't help myself. I watch Canadian Idol. Even though when they're in Canada and Canadian Idol, America hasn't noticed them yet. Well, I watch Canadian Idol, and this eight-year-old is being interviewed by the panel of Canadian judges you wouldn't know because America hasn't noticed them yet. <laughs> and they ask the eight-year-old to tell, tell them, how long have you been singing? Oh, well, I've been singing since I was a little boy. I'm like, you're eight. <laughs> you know, go, go live your life and then tell us about what you were doing when you were little. And, and here's what I notice all the time. H- have you noticed that if you're into music, you make three albums and your fourth album is best of album. Oasis, that British band, maybe some young people have heard them. They made five albums and then they made seven best of Oasis com- compilations. We're all so worried about our legacy, we're not truly leaving a legacy. That's the bonus point. Five, invest even in those who you suspect may disappoint you. And this is a long list. There's Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. There's Demas. There's Archippus. We can see them in verse 10. These three men are mentioned in the apostles' final greetings. These three brothers greet them. They represent moments of deep disagreement, incredible disappointment, and ultimately separation and departure. Mark, of course, you know, this Mark was the source of Paul and Barnabas' great separation and, and, and great disagreement. You know good people can disagree, right? Are you, are you okay with that? Do you, or do you need to be unanimous all the time? Good, godly people sometimes disagree. But, but notice what, that's not the rest of the story. So when you're disappointed in some young person, if they had been given a ministry and they didn't do it so well, or they called in sick at the last moment, do not cut them off because you serve a great God who's not finished writing the story of His salvation in their lives. And this is the truth of John Mark. You know, Paul was driven. He couldn't afford to carry you know, heavy weight that wasn't pulling their, their share. And so he was ready to, to cut Mark off, but now he's reordered his treasure. And he's seen God do what even the apostle, brilliant apostle Paul could not do. And so now he's saying, greet this young brother. If he comes to you, welcome him. And in his very last moments, he would say, send Mark to him. He's a, to me, he's a great comfort to me. Mark was the first one to write down the story of Jesus found in the Gospel of Mark. He became a great missionary, but wasn't always that way. Now just think in GBC, are there some young people that you've already written off? Oh, they just want to play, play one, you know, that that kind. You know, have you already written? God is not done writing. God is still actively doing what only He can do. Mark was transformed by the living, powerful, almighty God. And then there's Demas, who was there, visiting Paul in that prison. Demas, this brother, my co-worker, also sends his greetings 
But then we know in one of the last letters the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4.10, we discover this Demas has left us because his affection for the world was greater than his love for Christ. How do you get over that? If you're in ministry, lay ministry, or professional ministry, any time at all, you look back at disappointments, don't you? You you camp out on those disappointments, all that you've invested in that person, and now they've gone off, and, and I was just wasting my time, and it, and it kind of grieves us, and we, we can't ever seem to get past it, and it makes us more cautious, more stingy in our investment of other people, because Burned once, burned twice, I don't want to get burned again. I'll just faithfully serve. Wrong approach. Archippus, in verse 17, why would the Apostle Paul have to say in a letter that was being read to the church in Colossae and say to one of your own, Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry he has received from the Lord. Why would he have to write, tell him he had to write that because he knew Archippus would not be there. Clearly, Epaphras had told him, we have a brother in our own midst. The call of God was clearly on him, but he's running, he's avoiding us. You see, you're going to find people like that in your ministry as well. The Apostle Paul still would go after, still would invest. Archippus represents me. For years I ran from this call. For years I refused to even go to church, afraid that some church member would say, Now, now Ian, have you remembered when you were eight, you said you were going to be called to be a missionary? I stayed away from Christians, avoiding you people. And someone had to go get me. Someone had to write, go tell Ian, remember the calling to which you have been called, or else you might have to settle on being a doctor. Sorry. (laughs) Here's the point. This is the lesson of the parable of the sower, or the parable of the four fields. There were Four different fields. One field, lots of birds. Throw out the seed. The birds are going to come and take the seed, right? Another field, oh, it's really rocky soil. You throw it out, well, might take sprout, but probably not because the soil is too rocky. And then then the, the other soil, look at all those thorns, man. The thorns everywhere. So the fresh root will come burst out into the sunshine and then it'll be choked away by... And then there is one with deep, rich soil. And that one, of course, brought forth much abundant harvest. Four different fields. But notice this, only one behavior. Faithful sowing. We see no time the sower said, oh, rocky soil, don't throw seed there. We don't see him saying, oh, look at those birds, better not throw seed there. Never at any time was any faithful servant evaluating the soil in the hearts of men and women. He was just throwing out the soil. And this is because God is not interested in my success. He celebrates my faithfulness. You don't know what God will do with those who run, who reject. All you know 
is God has called you to serve by investing in the soil of men and women's hearts. That's our calling. Now here is an epilogue. A very strange ending ending to the letter of Colossians. We see it in verse 18. Imagine. The Apostle Paul takes a breath. He looks to Luke and says, Luke, give me the pen. And then he writes, here is my greeting. In my own handwriting. And then this. Remember my chains. And for years, scholars have wondered, what. Why just put that right there? And some would say, oh, because when he's writing, he's hearing the clinking of the chains as he writes. Maybe he was right-handed, not, not me, I'm left, I'm right with my left hand. Writing, and he hears the clinking and, and says, ah, remember my chains. I don't think so. Because the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, remember my chains. Not just because he's going, oh, I got chains. Now I remember, though, I'm going to ask them to. It's much, much more than that. He's talking about investing, serving in a way that would leave a legacy. And here's what I believe he means. He means, is there any reason why you're not investing in others in your service? Remember my chains. Do you feel like you've got some encumbrance? Do you feel like you've got some personal handicap that would keep you from serving in a way that would leave a legacy? Remember my chains. You think you're not a person of influence? That nobody would listen to you if you poured your life into another? Remember, it's happening here in this prison cell. Whatever mindset is keeping you imprisoned in this idea that I am not much. What can I do? We hire our ministers. Remember, my chains, God has left more lay fingerprints on this man than any preacher. Because ordinary lay people went looking for me when I was running. They called me up and said, I need some help to put shingles on my roof. When they don't need help, they just needed to pour themselves into this young Aristarchus who is running from a call. They just needed to get close and say, remember the call. Actually, my Apostle Paul was an old uh, country preacher named Bob. Everyone called him Brother Bob. He was from Arkansas, but he was ministering in California. When the California economy was booming and lots of Southerners were emigrating to California, and Californians have bumper stickers on the back of their car that said, Welcome to California, now go home to Arkansas. <laughs> they, they didn't like it. Well, all these Southern Baptist churches had a lot of Southern people with a lot of Southern country preachers. I was in seminary, not because I was being faithful, but because Sherry applied on my behalf. (laughs) And I got a phone call right out of the blue in Strawberry Point in San Francisco 
this southern accent, I almost needed an interpreter. And he said, I would like to invite you to come and be on our staff. I said, um, I do, do I know you? No, but we'll get to know each other. <laughs> See, now, now listen to me. I don't know you is an excuse that would work in Canada. Uh, then, then I tried something else. Uh, what, what, what are you asking me to do? He said, we would like you to be a minister of youth and evangelism. I said, I've never done that. Another excuse that would work in Singapore. <laughs> right? He said, you never mind. You come on up, 55 mile drive. Uh, no obligation. Uh, just get to know us. Uh, I said, oh. oh. And, and Sherry said, yes, we're going. And she's American. You're married to a superpower. You do what you're told. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we went. And um, as soon as the service was over, he came to me and he said, next Sunday, uh, I'm going to have you come and preach in the view of a call. I said, I've never preached a sermon in my life. Another excuse that will work in Canada. If you say, I've never preached before, we say, oh, 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 I'm sorry, I misunderstood. I thought you were in seminary. I thought you had a call. I th- you know, I thought you were already ministering. In that case, um, uh, bless you. <laughs> Why? Because this is the idol in our temple. We want to hire someone that someone else has raised. You know what his response was when I said, oh, I've never preached before. He said, son, we're going to take care of that next Sunday. <laughs> there is some risk when you serve by investing in others. There's some risk. But here is the question to those, the saints of GBC. Who are you investing in right now? What kind of a legacy are you leaving in the life of someone else? Who, to whom are you saying, we are going to take care of that? Maybe not next Sunday or the Sunday after that, but we together are going to take care of that. We are going to disciple you. We're going to walk with you. And that brother Bob, on the day that I stood up trembling to preach my first 10-minute sermon, he stood here with me. And just as I went to open my Bible, he said, Now, Ivan, he couldn't get Ian. So he kept calling me Ivan. He said, Ivan, just preach until you're finished. When you're finished, don't keep preaching. He just calmed me down. And I have kept that sermon. It is the most uh, embarrassing piece of work you can possibly imagine. But after I preached it, he came up and he put his arm around me and he said, Someday, God is going to do something great in you. He told me that for three years until I started to believe him. There are young people that God has gifted GBC. You are stewards of these lives. And all of their lives they are being told you're not 
working hard enough. You're not smart enough. You don't give enough time to this. They just need someone who would come alongside of them and say, one day there will be no greater servant of the Most High God. One day the world will be turned upside down because of your ministry. One day when people think of the glory of God, they will think of men and women who have been raised up under the ministry of those who have served on purpose, have invested in others, and have left a legacy. Will you bow with me for just a moment? Uh, While your heads are bowed um, this morning, I really feel like if we have heard the word of God, we should take a moment and respond. I'm not going to ask you to come down front. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you just where you are seated to ask yourself this question. Should I be serving right now? Not by doing the work, but by investing encouragement and support and equipping in those who will one day do the work. Is there someone or maybe a couple that the Lord might bring to your mind? That you might just need to walk alongside and say, Someday God is going to do a great, amazing work in you. And I believe He's brought me into your life just to stir it up in you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be awesome. But if you would commit to being faithful, I would tell you and remind you every day, you serve a great, enormous God who hung stars and threw planets into space. And he can certainly stir up amazing in you. Is there someone right now that the Lord has brought to your mind? And if so, let me encourage you. Will you not even today seek that person out and say, you know what? I've noticed what God's doing in you. Even if you haven't noticed it yourself, I've noticed it. And I want to remind you as much as possible that God is using you right now to bless His name and to bring glory to His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to be that person for you. Father God, I I thank you for the many that you've brought into my life that took this broken down, rebellious son of Scottish immigrants and said, if you would be faithful, I will love you and be God's embrace for you and help you to become more than you would ever dream. I pray that one day men and women will look back at the transformation that has taken place on this island, one that has touched the entire world. And remember, that was the day that we began to serve by investing in others. Make that so for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.